Well, this morning's sermon is a little bit different in that we are going to be looking at a particular person. As uh, Calfane shared earlier, normally we do a series of studies and uh, for the next little while we're just going to be doing a few different things and hopefully coming out with some practical hands-on sort of sermons as well. So the person that we're going to look at this morning is Hannah and in particular we're going to focus on how she prayed. In the first two chapters of 1 Samuel we have recorded two instances of Hannah coming before the Lord. The first is when Hannah has had many years of ongoing anguish and she comes before the Lord in all of her sorrow and she pours her heart out to the Lord. And at the end of that encounter, she leaves having found real peace, having found the peace of God. And we'll look at that heartfelt prayer first and we'll read that that account in a few moments. And then later in the sermon, we'll take a brief look at the second of Hannah's prayers. And this is a prayer of praise. It's also called a song of praise. And it's similar to Mary's Magnificat, which we read earlier. And in the second prayer, she magnifies the Lord and his ways. She also points towards the coming King of Kings. The interesting thing about Hannah is the role that she plays in the history of Israel. On the surface of it, we have this woman with her own personal struggles who simply brings them to the Lord. And this happened some 3,000 years ago and we're still reading about it today. Yet today we can read about her, we can read about her struggles and her prayers and we can see how this personal situation fits into the overall narrative of God's story of salvation. Now when we think of Hannah, we mainly associate her with being Samuel's mum. And we also tend to focus on how she is a shining example of a wife and a mother. And we can take these applications from this text today and we'll touch on those things. But our main focus is how Hannah is a woman who has a heart after God. She knew God and she understood his ways. When she was in great anguish and despair, her faith and trust was in the Lord. Now, just before we come to the text, there's just a little bit of background. Hannah lived in a dark age when the people of Israel had mainly chosen to turn their backs on God. And we can see that in the very last verse of Judges, which is the book that precedes these events. Judges chapter 21 verse 25 In those days Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Doesn't that sound familiar? And this was happening right through society. Even the priesthood was tainted with weakness and immorality. Eli and sons are probably some of the worst priests you could ever hope to come across in the Bible. And the shenanigans that went on in God's house under their tenure are quite unbelievable. Now if you want the details of those, you'll have to read a little bit more into chapter 2 in your own time. The point is that amongst this time of godlessness and corruption, Hannah's heart towards God stands out to us. And you'll see that as we read through today's text. 
So let's pray and then let's turn to God's word. Lord, we just thank you for your word. We just thank you that you have given us your word in a form that we can just read through, Lord, and, and we can study and we can learn from. And Lord, we just thank you for the completeness of the scriptures that we have. That Lord, that you, right through all of scripture, you are speaking to us. There is a continuous thread, a continuous story happening right through all of scripture. And it all points back to you. points back to you, the Lord of our salvation, the Lord of creation. Lord, we just pray as we come to your word this morning, as we look at the life of this woman and and her faithfulness and the way that she turned to you in her anguish and her sorrow. And Lord, we just pray that you will speak to each and every one of us. Lord, may there be points of application to us all through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, so we're at 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 1. I probably should have found it beforehand. Okay, 1 Samuel 1, chapter 1 and verse 1. There was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah in the region of Zuf in the hill country of Ephraim. He was the son of Jerohim, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth of Ephraim. Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah did not. Each year Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's armies, at the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord at the time were the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. On the days Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to Peninnah and to each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. So Peninnah would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year it was the same. Peninnah would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Each time Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than having ten sons? Once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. 
and as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her. Seeing her lips moving, but hearing no sound, he thought she had been drinking. Must you come here drunk, he demanded. Throw away your wine. Oh no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger. But I am very discouraged and I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I am a wicked woman, for I have been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, Go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked of him. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. Then she went back and began to eat again, and she was no longer sad. The entire family got up early the next morning and went to worship the Lord once more. Then they returned home to Ramah. When Elkanah slept with Hannah, the Lord remembered her plea, and in due time she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I asked the Lord for him. Looking at Hannah's initial prayer at the tabernacle, we see that she came to the Lord in great anguish. She was crying bitterly. She was in deep pain. She was in deep anguish because of her personal circumstances. So let's explore that a little bit so that we can understand her situation a little bit better. Why was not being able to have children affect her so much? Well, first of all, there's the obvious issue on the home front. Despite having a loving relationship with her husband, her marital situation contributed to her anguish. For some reason, Elkanah had two wives. Now, you don't need to be a family counsellor with a degree in psychology to understand that this will naturally cause a lot of tension in the home. Does anyone here want two wives? I notice nobody brave enough to put up their hand. Does anyone want two husbands, two lots of frustration and bad habits? Well, we see this tension is being played out in this situation. Now, I probably don't have to go on into this too much, but we do know that polygamy is not what God intended in marriage. We do see a number of examples of it in the Bible, but that is not the godly model of marriage. You would have noticed in our recent series of what we believe, we didn't have a session on we believe in multiple marriage. If we did, I wasn't here that week. I missed it. Polygamy as seen in scripture was a human intervention and it was there to solve a problem. And I'll go into the details about what this problem was and why this solution came about. In the examples that we do have in the Bible, it always resulted in strife. We only have to look at Abraham and Sarah and Hagar. There was strife in that home. Hagar was driven out with her son. We can look at Jacob and Leah and Rachel and there was strife and tension in that home too. 
And of course there's Solomon, the king of polygamy. No doubt he had heaps of problems on the home front. But not only that, despite all of his wisdom, he was led away from God and into idolatry by his many wives. Jesus confirms the marriage model as being monogamous. He teaches us about marriage in Matthew 19 and Mark 10. And all of those teachings point towards one man and one woman. So my advice is, don't do it. It's not right and it will lead to strife. Besides that, I'm pretty sure it's still illegal here in New Zealand. I do know that the penalty is extremely harsh. You end up with more than one (laughs) mother-in-law. By the way, I'll be having a cup of tea out the back there later if mother-in-laws want to catch up with me. (laughs) The second issue that Hannah is that Hannah was dealing with, and it's related to the first, is that Hannah couldn't have children. Now Hannah being barren explains to us why Elkanah had two wives. Elkanah had two wives because Hannah couldn't have children. What you need to understand of the culture was that it was extremely important to have children. Children were everything. They provided identity and security. It was important to have children to carry on the family name. But not only that, there was more of a practical side to having children as well. It was important to have children to care for you in your old age. When you think about it, life was quite a bit harsher in that setting. There was no Jane Winstone village that we could retire to, with all of its home comforts and nursing staff on hand 24-7. It was up to the children. Now children also became workers, and we're not talking about child slavery here, It was more like growing up in the family business. Nowadays it's just about child slavery to ask them to do the dishes. Not only that, children also brought protection. They were wild times and sons in particular provided protection from outside raiders. The culture was family and community minded and everyone contributed. Children were vitally important. In our times in New Zealand, and there will be some exceptions to this, we are more individualistically minded. We tend to be more self-sufficient and we have no real need to build a large family. So we don't quite understand how important it was to have children to the people of Hannah's day. To us it's more of a choice. And even though it is still traumatic for couples who can't have children today, it doesn't come with that same cultural pressure and necessity that existed in Hannah's time. Now when we are introduced to the family, it is assumed that Hannah was Elkanah's first wife, as she was named first. We can also assume that when Hannah couldn't bear children, that Elkanah took a second wife to remedy this issue. That's what Abraham and Sarah did. And we see that also Rebecca gave her maid to Jacob so that her maid could bear children for her because she couldn't. We think, man, that's messed up, but we understand it a little bit more when we understand the importance of children. It is, however, a human intervention. 
Rather than trusting in God, these people sought out a logical solution that solved their immediate problem. How often do we do this ourselves? How often rather than trusting in God to do something, do we devise our own way of making it happen? We hand it over to God and then we set about to answer the prayer ourselves. Now we can be vulnerable to doing this when it comes to the big choices in life, such as choosing a partner. Do we trust God to provide in our personal life? So when we look at this family, we see all of these dynamics going on here. And these dynamics led to Hannah to be in deep despair. She couldn't have children. Her husband took another wife to fix this problem. Peninnah bore Elkanah many children. This whole setup caused problems in itself. And it appears that despite the marriage situation, Elkanah and Hannah had a very obvious loving relationship. In fact, in reading the text, it, it appears that Elkanah favoured Hannah over Peninnah. And this no doubt caused jealousy and Peninnah would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because of her barrenness. She may have had the kids, but it appears that Hannah had Elkanah's heart. All of this probably contributed to Hannah struggling with her self-worth and she was in deep anguish. She would have felt as if she had no hope. Now Hannah's response to all of this is the beauty of what we have read in today's text. She has these three voices that are talking to her. Her culture is telling her that she needs to contribute to the family and to the community by bearing children. Her husband's second wife is taunting and making fun of her because she can't. And her husband, meaning well, is trying to comfort her by saying surely he and his love would be sufficient for her. And it appears that this scenario played out over a long period of time. It says that it went on for years and years. Now in the text we don't see Hannah responding directly to any of these voices. It may have happened but we don't see it here in the text. But what we do see is that rather than responding to those voices she goes to the one voice that matters. She goes to the one place that really can provide the answer. She turns to God. What we see here is Hannah showing strength and she chooses to take action. Verse 9 tells us that Hannah got up and went to pray. And in some versions of the Bible it says that Hannah stood up and it's a very deliberate description. It's a very deliberate action that she took. Hannah set out to take action on her problem in the best way possible. There's a biblical principle in play here. The best way to deal with pain is through prayer. Hannah came before God. She came to God in her pain. And it makes sense to do this. Though it may not be easy to see it when you're in the middle of something, God is the wonderful counsellor. He is the best comforter 
and the best counsellor that is available to us. Hannah recognised this. She didn't respond to Elkanah's comfort or Peninnah's taunts. Rather, she came to God. She was in deep anguish. She was crying bitterly to God. She came to God with her mind, with her emotions, with her feelings, with her thoughts and with her heart. And even though she was coming to God in her weakness, this wasn't a sign of weakness. It was the reality of someone praying from the heart. We see that Eli failed to recognise this reality. He thought she was a drunk woman. He saw her lips moving, but he heard no sound. His response says a lot about where he was at. He failed to recognise real heartfelt prayer when it was right there before him. Eli was used to witnessing and he possibly practised this himself. He was used to witnessing religious prayer which was conducted out loud and quite often done out of tradition. So he failed to recognise someone praying from the heart right before him. Now, I'm not suggesting that every time we pray we need to be deeply emotional. However, when we come to God, we should do so in humility and come as we are into the presence of the Almighty God because he sees our heart and he cares for us. We shouldn't just be going through the paces. For want of a better phrase, we should keep it real when we pray. If we are heavy-hearted, we come to God as we are. If we are struggling, be real before God. He is a big, big God. Once again we see Hannah showing strength when she answers Eli's demands and explains her actions to him. Now when I say she's shown strength, she hasn't got all angry and, and scolded Eli. Rather she has humbly and respectfully stood up for herself to the high priest. Oh no, sir, I haven't been drinking, but I am very discouraged and I was pouring my heart out to the Lord. I have been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. And we see that this response takes Eli aback a bit and he realises that he has misread the situation and he says, Go in peace and may the God of Israel grant the request that you have made of him. We're going to come back to that in a moment where Hannah goes in peace from that prayer and from that moment. But let's focus on her request and on the vow that she made to the Lord. This is reading from verse 11. These are the words of Hannah. O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime and as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. Now, there are a number of things that we can take from this prayer. Firstly, Hannah knew that only God could deal with her issue of barrenness. There was nothing that anyone else could do. It would take a miracle and God was the only one who could do it. Her husband tried to fix the problem, and that didn't really bring her comfort. 
Only God could sort it. And even if God didn't give her a child, that was okay. God could bring her peace to her situation. And we see later on that she did go in peace. She had poured her heart out to God. Remember, she had no idea of whether God would grant her request or not. But she went in peace when she left the tabernacle. She had given her despair over to God. Her husband tried to comfort her, but it was only when she turned it all over to God that she could be at peace. Our pain and our anguish is best dealt with through prayer. Now I'm not suggesting that we don't go to our husbands or our wives or our friends for counsel and comfort. It's actually quite biblical to do so. Galatians 6 verse 2, bear one another's burdens. But we should always, always go to God. Secondly, Hannah didn't present her request out of selfishness. And it's easy to think that Hannah was just asking for a son just to meet her own needs or to complete her. Consider this. She vowed if God granted her a son that she was going to give this son back to God. She was going to dedicate him to God for all of his life. The child wasn't going to care for her in her old age. This child wasn't going to contribute to the work of the family and this child wasn't going to protect the family in times of danger. In fact, she wasn't even going to see her son on a daily basis from the time that he was weaned. Samuel would have been about three years old when he went into the service of God. She'd be back to having no children. And again at that time, she didn't even know if God would bless her with one child, let alone other children after Samuel. So all of those cultural reasons, all of those self-serving motives, they weren't there when she came before the Lord. She would turn the son over to God to serve his will and that is exactly what happened. The vow not to cut his hair was a Nazarite vow where Levites take a special vow not to cut their hair or drink wine while they serve God. Now these vows were usually for a short set of time, sometimes months or years, but they certainly were not for a lifetime. And I should also point out at this stage that even though Elkanah, he hailed from Ephraim, he was a Levite. If you remember the tribe of Eli, uh, Levi, sorry, if you remember that the tribe of Levi were not allocated their own allotment of land as a tribe, they were allotted land and towns amongst the other tribes of Israel. So Hannah didn't pray out of selfish motive, and what God gave her, she dedicated back to him. This child isn't for me, but it is for you. Is that how we treat what God has given us? Do we dedicate it to the Lord or do we use it purely for ourselves? Do we use what is in our hands for God's glory? The third thing that we see in Hannah's prayer was that she wasn't bargaining with God. There's a big difference between a vow to God and bargaining with God. And it's easier on the surface of it to attribute Hannah's prayer to bargaining. 
If you do this, God, I will do that. So how do we know that Hannah wasn't trying to bargain with God? Well, the answer to that question, and it's one of the main keys in today's text, is that Hannah went in peace. When she left God's presence, she went back and began to eat again and was no longer sad. She had taken her burden to God, she came to him honestly and prayed from the heart. She trusted God and left her burden with him and was comforted by him. She was no longer sad. This had been going on for years, but Hannah took action, she prayed, and she was no longer sad. If Hannah was bargaining with God, do you think she would have left there in peace? No, she hadn't received her child yet. God's side of the bargain hadn't been met, and there was no guarantee that he would. And sure, Eli said, May the Lord grant your request. And she was probably encouraged by these words, but it was hardly a rock-solid guarantee that this hopeless situation would be miraculously set right. If Hannah was bargaining with God, she wouldn't have felt peace until she fell pregnant, until her prayer was answered positively. And another thing is, if she was bargaining with God, she wasn't going to gain from the bargain. Samuel was to be separated from her and dedicated to God for his lifetime. There's probably two signs of when we're bargaining with God. Firstly, we don't have peace unless we receive what we're expecting. And secondly, when we do receive what we're requesting, how do we treat what God has given us? Is it totally for our wants or do we pay lip service when using it for God's glory. God, if you let me win Powerball this week, I'll shout the pastor out to morning tea. By all means, shout the pastor out to morning tea. Or do we dedicate what God has provided back to his glory and back to his service? One thing I do want to point out though, is that I realise that some people face some very real and challenging problems in their life. Some people are genuinely working through things for years and even though they have peace, it can come back and hit them between the eyes later on down the track. And even though we have looked at Hannah at length this morning, I can't profess to truly understand the anguish and the pain that she was facing in her situation. This morning's message isn't a glib one of just go and pray about it and everything will be right. And if it doesn't come right, well then the problem's with you and the way that you prayed. This isn't a formula of prayer either. What we do see in Hannah's situation is a principle of prayer. God is the only one who can truly hear us, who can truly comfort us and heal us. When we come to him in anguish with our burdens, with the honesty and humility of our condition, when we trust him and cast our burdens upon him, then we can experience his peace and be healed. Give it a go. If you have and it didn't work, give it another go. It may take time. Don't give up. I think the key is seeking God's peace. 
Hannah prayed and she was no longer sad. Did the taunting stop? Well, probably did after a while once she, she got pregnant, but maybe not straight away. Did all her problems disappear overnight? No. Was there still problems in the family dynamics? Well, undoubtedly, there were still problems there. But Hannah was no longer sad. She had found the peace of God. Now after these events, Hannah brought her son up until he was about three years old. Then she kept her vow and took Samuel back to the tabernacle at Shiloh and dedicated him to the service of the Lord for the rest of his life. And it is at this point that Hannah prays again. This second prayer of Hannah is an amazing prayer of praise. We once again see her pouring out her heart, but this time it's different. She pours forth her gratitude to God for his goodness. And it's hardly surprising, given the miracle that God has performed in her life. This prayer has been described by some commentators as one of the most powerful prayers in scripture. And it's easy to see why. Hannah seems to have a great grasp on who God is and how he works. This prayer or song of Hannah's has been described as an equal to any of the Psalms. And what we see is that this prayer is both I'll say that correctly, we'll see that this prayer is both poetic and prophetic. Prophetic. John MacArthur comments on Hannah's prayer of praise and he, he gives us this analysis of it. She acknowledged, for example, God's holiness, his goodness, his sovereignty, his power and his wisdom. She worshipped him as a saviour, as a creator and as a sovereign judge. She acknowledged the fallenness and depravity of human nature as well as the folly of unbelief and rebellion. In short, her few stanzas were a masterpiece of theological understanding. So let's turn to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2 and we'll read through Hannah's prayer of praise. Uh, Take particular note of verse 10. Uh, We're going to be looking at the uh, prophetic nature mainly of, of this prayer. And we'll see that in verse 10. So Hannah's prayer of praise. This is uh, chapter two, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1. Then Hannah prayed, My heart rejoices in the Lord. The Lord has made me strong. Now I have an answer for my enemies. I rejoice because you rescued me. No one is holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Stop acting so proud and haughty. Don't speak with such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows what you have done. He will judge your actions. The bow of the mighty is now broken, and those who stumbled are now strong. Those who were well fed are now starving, and those who were starving are now full. The childless woman now has seven children, and the woman with many children wastes away. The Lord gives both death and life. He brings some down to the grave, but raises others up. 
The Lord makes some poor and others rich. He brings some down and lifts others up. He lifts the poor from the dust and the needy from the garbage dump. He sets them among princes, placing them in seats of honour. For all the earth is the Lord's, and he has set the world in order. He will protect his faithful ones, but the wicked will disappear in darkness. No one will succeed by strength alone. Those who fight against the Lord will be shattered. He thunders against them from heaven. The Lord judges throughout the earth. He gives power to his king. He increases the strength of his anointed one. Then Elkanah returned home to Ramah without Samuel, and the boy served the Lord by assisting Eli the priest. Now, there is no way that we can explore this particular passage too deeply in the time that we have left this morning. In fact, you could probably run a whole series of sermons just just on that prayer alone. But in closing, I do want to look at one portion of it, and that is the prophetic content of her prayer. There is a link between this prayer and the prayer of Mary that we read earlier. In fact, her story is similar to that of Mary's. God performed a miracle in Hannah and she gave birth to a son who went on to be a saviour for Israel. As we read through the Bible, there is a long line of saviours for God's people and they all point to the ultimate saviour. God also performed a miracle in Mary and she gave birth to a son who is the ultimate saviour of mankind. One thing we should know about Hannah and, and it's probably typical of, of all the Israelite women or, and, and men of the time as well. She knew about God and like many Israelites she was looking towards the promised Messiah, the coming King of Kings. And we see this expressed in verse 10. He gives power to his king and he increases the strength of his anointed one. When Hannah prayed this, there was no king in Israel. There never had been. So this is a prophetic statement in her prayer. What we see later on is that her child Samuel, who she came before the Lord in despair to pray for, he would be instrumental in the transfer of Israel's leadership from having judges to having kings. And he would initially anoint Saul as king, but then he would go on to anoint God's real chosen king, which was King David. And what we find is that King David is a part fulfilment to this prophecy and Jesus is the ultimate fulfilment. We also see in verse 10 it talks about increasing the strength of the anointed one. Well, we know that the anointed one is a title for Christ and Christ means the same as the title Messiah, which means Anointed one. Christ was the ultimate fulfilment of this prophecy. We first see uh, the promise in David's line come through in 2 Samuel 7 verse 16. And in, and, and in 2 Samuel 7 is when Nathan the prophet is, is talking to um, or speaking God's word to David and bringing forward the promises that God has for King David. 
And this is one of them in verse 16. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time and your throne will be secure forever. And then if we're to look at Psalm 89, we see again um, this promise is spoken about. And this isn't actually a psalm of David's. Um, I forget the name of the guy. I think his name was Ethan or something. But he brought forward this psalm talking about David. I have sworn an oath to David in my holiness. I cannot lie. His dynasty will go on forever. His kingdom will endure as the sun. It will be as eternal as the moon. My faithful witness in the sky. So we see this promise just going through all of the Bible. And one of the places that we see that it talks about its fulfilment is in the same chapter that we read this morning in Luke chapter 1. And this is before Mary's prayer. And this is when an angel comes and speaks to Mary. Now I was just going to read uh, verses 32 to 33, but I think we'll look a little bit further than that. Okay. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, so this is Luke chapter 1, reading from verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favoured woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Christ is the ultimate king. His kingdom will never end. This account of Hannah's has God's hands prints all over it. Here was this woman who couldn't have children. She comes in faith and she comes in her anguish to God. Not only does God bring her peace in her personal situation, it's much bigger than that. We see also that because of her prayer, she gave birth to Samuel. Samuel would be the last judge of Israel and would anoint King David. And it is through David's family line that the world would receive the King of Kings the Messiah and ultimate Saviour, Jesus. As we consider Hannah's story this morning, I encourage you, don't shrug back from God when you are broken hearted. He cares, he heals, and you just don't know what will happen next. Our final word is a reading from Psalm 34, Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the broken hearted, He rescues those 
whose spirits are crushed. Let's pray. Lord, we just acknowledge that you are indeed the creator of the universe. You are the great creator of this world. You are the Lord of lords and you are the sovereign king over everything. But Lord, we thank you that we can come to you in our own personal need. That Lord, even though you are the great king, we can come and seek you out. And Lord, I just pray for anyone here who is going through any anguish or any pain or any ongoing issues. Lord, may they take encouragement from your word this morning. May they seek you in their situation and in the place where they are at the moment. Lord, we just all pray for your peace in our lives. The Lord, to, to just know that, Lord, you are in control of all things that, Lord, we can hand it all over to you and trust in you. Lord, we just pray as, as we go forth this week, may we go forth in your name. In Jesus' name, Amen.